You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the supervising sound editor of the movie Kin, Joseph Frioli. If I'm hard on you, it's because the world is hard. You've seen that. And I just need you to stay out of trouble, okay? Oh my god. brother just got out of prison. I know I've been away for a long time, but I want to make sure that you know that you're important to me. I want you to be careful around him. Welcome home, my man. I know I owe you guys some money. I just want you to know I'm not dodging you. Oh. Let him go. The hell is that thing? I found it. Somebody's gotta be looking for this thing. That thing your brother has in there? You need to call someone. Can't do that. Find him. He's here somewhere. Dangerous people are coming after us. I know I'm not a good guy, but it's been pretty incredible to be brothers for the first time. Whatever you've gotten him into. He's gonna figure it out eventually. I hope you're ready for that. They're coming, man! Go! I can't believe this whole time you haven't told me this! Go, go! Get away from our brother. Maybe keep that thing on the first mode, yeah? Hi there, and welcome to yet another episode of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Will Mavity, and with me today, I have the supervising sound editor of Lionsgate's new film, Kin, Joseph Frioli. Joseph, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. My ears are still ringing from some of the work you did there. Oh, no. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how you ended up on Kin. Well, it's a, a long story. I've actually been working with the directors, Jonathan and Josh Baker, for quite a long time. Uh, we started working together maybe 10 years ago, doing a lot of commercials, and we started doing short films together. And then Kin came about uh, as a you know sort of expansion of the short film we did called Bag Band. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted me to uh, continue the journey with them. And I, I think I was actually one of the first hires on the movie. And, uh, yeah, worked on it quite extensively uh, over about a year and a half with them. So, yeah, I be- is this your first feature, in fact? Or I guess you had Dirty Lies as well in the past. That's correct? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff uh, in the, that I've done, uh, you know, fe- feature-wise. But it's never been as... Uh, you know, it's been I've been like touching in for a few weeks here and there for sound design or or, or sound editing. Uh, you know that that they you know whoever wanted me to to hire me for that. Um, but yeah, this was like the first bigger film, wide release film that I was a uh, sound designer and supervisor on. 
So there's been a lot of recent dystopian sci-fi films that have explosions and ray guns, but somehow you and the Foley team managed to really make the weapons and tools on display here sound alive. I can't think of a film since maybe District 9 that has had such distinctive personalities to the weapons almost. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys gave the ray gun for starters in some of the other futuristic tools, their identities. Sure. I appreciate that you, that you recognize that. Thank you. That's great. When you're designing a sound, I mean, there's many ways to go about it, but my, my particular preferences, like let's say take the main weapon that's uh, technically called the block nose rifle that our, our you know, main character Eli discovers um, it's basically, I ask myself, like, where is this from? How does it work? And then th- that, that really gets the ball rolling in terms of designing the sound, more, even more so than how it looks sometimes. And sometimes when you think that way, you can conceptually come to ideas that are uh, of more interesting context to, um, uh, than, rather than just aesthetically how it uh, appears. So I I started I mean it was it, it is an expansion from the movie Bagman so I we, we, the short film so we you know I had some groundwork that the bakers really wanted to keep in, in the feature so there was you know I kept some of the sounds that I made for that but really wanted to redevelop it you know the, uh, the the weaponry and all the technology to suit this story which is a different you know an expansion of that story of the short film so there was a lot of uh, a lot of work went into basically creating this world of sound that was based off of magnetism. Mm. So, uh, you know, I was, so I would start with like, you know, your obvious things, like what is, what would magnetism sound like? You know, if it had a sound, it would be like hums and these connecting type of sounds and, and things like that. And then, you know, once you, once you do get that out of the way, then you start digging deeper. Like what does magnetism mean? It's like, you know, uh, positive and negative attraction. And then you just go through all this deep sort of, uh, conceptual thought process. And, and then all of a sudden you have this like palette of sounds that you may not have originally thought would have been magnetism, but it sort of all makes sense in, in, in the long run. And, um, that was one aspect of, of the technology. And then while I was working on the film, I actually, what I was really excited about, and I think I think the bakers were too, is I, I just had this idea that the the the, the gun is a, is a big character in the movie that it needed to sort of connect with Eli, but at the same time be like seem really dangerous. So you see this kid holding this gun, and it's like it, it, it evokes like a little bit of like oh my gosh, you know this guy this kid has this really dangerous weapon, and you're, you know, so it's like. You, you want to have that contrast there, but you also want to have a, uh, because of the story and how it goes, I don't want to spoil anything, but you want to have a connection uh, uh, with, with Eli and this weapon. So right. I kind of looked at Bluetooth technology and mobile technology that we're familiar with today and just made a futuristic version of that. So like the notifications that your phone and your tablets and computers and all these things make, I kind of use that as a language as a basis of language uh, with the weaponry and technology. So whoever's using this technology, it's going to behave and sound differently because it's like an artificial intelligence uh, technology that sort of has a, a, a pairing 
capability with whoever's using it, if that makes sense. Oh, that's awesome. So are you telling me that it would have reacted differently if it were used in the concept of your world, if it had been able to be used by a different character? Absolutely. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, it was great because I was working with, you know, while they were editing the picture and I had come up with some of the, these ideas and they were able to, uh, you know, the first scene that I had come up with this idea was the gun pairing with Eli when it's calling him down the shaft. And that just came together so amazingly, uh, you know, that they had spread out the scene, it gave me some handles on, on, on the top and tail of it to, so I could have more time for that pairing sequence, you know, Mark Day, the editor. Uh, and, you know, that was really perfect that I was there early on because it, you know, enabled us to sort of work with these concepts. And then Mogwai came in with their music and uh, actually matched their key of their music and tempo to the beeping of the gun when Eli picks it up and it's pairing with him. So it was like this was a really magical moment. I was, I was really excited about in that scene. It was cool. Oh, I, w- I was going to ask, tell me a little bit more about your collaboration with Mogwai because this seemed like a film where their very ambient score and your work kind of almost became one. Yeah, and that that was something I really wanted to do from the beginning. I love soundtracks that are like that. Like there's there's like a blur of line and it's just this beautiful cohesive storytelling piece that's both emotive and and can draw you to action. Um and with Mogwai it was great. I have a, I have a bit of a history with them. Uh I make electronic music under the alias Detachi. <laughs> they had re- remixed one of my tracks like 18 years ago. Um uh, for for an EP I put out, so I knew them, you know. And they're, did they know that was you? They, it was so funny. You know, I, I contacted them. I'm like, you guys, you know, I haven't talked to you in so long, and we reconnected, and uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and stuff. But you know, it was so amazing. They're so talented. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like I literally had said one, two things in an email. Like, you know, it would be really cool if we can try to like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, much uh, mix things together in terms of sound design and music it, it like makes these cool like fluid pieces and the other thing was um you know i'm sorry that the gun is i made the, the main tone of the gun on a modular synthesizer that was in no particular key so it would have it's been really hard for them to match the key of the gun if you know if there's a cue going on so it doesn't sort of uh clash with musically too much um but you know there was a one email exchange and they they came back with Everything was like just amazing. They were able to weave the sound design, weave their music with the sound design. They were able to, you know, work with the key of the gun uh, in, in ways that were even better than just having it work. They actually made it so it could that they really worked together, almost like we were in the same room, like talking about it. It was it was pretty amazing. Now, tell me a little bit more about your collaboration with Mark Day. Obviously, he's a very established editor, having done most of the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, tell me how you guys work together a little bit. Oh, Mark is such a nice guy. He, he's incredible, uh, incredible talent, incredibly nice guy. And he just uh, he he was in L.A. with John and Josh, cutting. I was in New York, you know, in constant communication with those guys when I was doing my sound design work. And yeah, it was just, it was super seamless and smooth. I mean, I, I would have ideas, send them through. Um, and uh, that you know they would put them up against against picture, and, and we talk about them. And you know, Mark was just uh, really open to uh, you know all sorts of 
you know, ex- exploration, experimentation, and also I think he was really happy to have the sound for with him. So you know, it helps him understand the story and helps him understand the drama because he's cutting, you know, and he, he doesn't have to deal with like putting in tempo effects or anything like that because we were actually developing the sound at the same time. So I think it, uh, hopefully it made it a, a nice process for him as well. So one of my favorite things to ask you guys, especially in a film like this that does have such a variety of interesting sound effects. Um, I know you told me a little bit about what you were looking for, but what were some of the interesting tools you actually used to create the sound effects? Your your Foley team, et cetera, et cetera, because this is a movie where time stops and people get vaporized. I'm sure there were some unorthodox yeah. tools. <laughs> there's a lot. There's so much. I mean, I, I mean, the, the question is, what is the orthodox tool? <laughs> you know what I mean? What would be like, well, you don't think, I don't think it really, there is such a thing. I mean, it's like, it's interesting that when you think of it that way, but uh, I mean, I use a lot of stuff, like everything from stuff that I find at a dollar store to, you know, very high end expensive equipment uh, and anything like for the cleaners, um, the, you know, the, the guys, the alien sort of characters uh, in the film, like they're breathing. Um, I found this little tube that's uh, like a kid's toy from a dollar store that I sort of just, uh, made it uh, work with this microphone in a way that I could breathe into it and put these effects through it that it would sound, you know, have this cool sound like the breathing from the helmets, both interior and exterior perspectives. And um, I use something called an ohm wand. It's by, it's like this plastic sword with this plastic uh, piece of tape around it. And it's, I think the original intent is to use this as almost like a Tibetan singing bowl for meditation but you like swing it around and it makes this really great noise. And I use that a lot for like the, the movement of the spheres that the cleaners have, um, like the sort of wishes and movements. Uh, I use uh, my Eurorack modular synthesizer quite a bit, which is a big, basically a big panel of all these different modules that you connect with cables and you have like complete control over every single uh, aspect of the sound you're creating, which is awesome because you could really get, you know, it's a great way to get unique sounds and and it uh, can surprise you as well. Uh, and then I use a, something called a symbolic sound Kima system, which is basically a supercomputer that was designed by this woman named Carla Scarletti um, that specifically for uh, sound design uh, and sound manipulation. It's a super powerful system and you're able to basically particleize sounds and re- reconstruct them in all sorts of different ways. I, I use that a lot for like the portal and the end and the portal sounds and um, part of the gun blast and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot. I mean, this goes on and on. Um, but probably the more fun things are just like, you know, the, the cheaper things that <laughs> always resonate to me is like being able to, I mean, one of my heroes named uh, Gary Rydstrom, he's a, you know, he's done a lot of really huge and awesome sounding movies He's just a master of context, and sometimes you find out this how he, like what he used uh, to make the sounds that he made is so inspiring that I always try to find things like you know what's around my house to use to sort of make stuff and make that work. And I think sometimes that context is is really cool. Would I be correct in assuming that the most difficult sequence to put together sonically was the jail showdown? And if not, what was? Um, that one was a little tricky. It's always tricky when you have off-camera weapons in an interior. 
uh, or, or anything off camera that, that's an important story element that's in an interior, in an adjacent space that you're not familiar with that space. So, you know, you have to make it sound believable that this battle is happening right next to you uh, and you can't see it and, and people are reacting to it and you're not familiar exactly with the, the dimensions of the space. So, yeah, that was, it was a challenge. It was a fun challenge for sure. Um, that, that was a good one. But I, but I have to say, I, you know, it's weird because I, uh, you know, like thinking of something as a challenge is, is an interesting concept because you, the whole project is a challenge. I mean, t- technically, as you're, much as you're an artist and have a perspective, you're also a problem solver and you're trying to serve this film uh, the best way possible. And so, so you're constantly figuring out these challenges, which is the, the fun of it, really. Now, we've obviously talked a lot about some of the really showy aspects, you know, the the gun and the explosions, but I would be curious to know a little bit about what's some of your subtle work going on here, because a lot of this film is very much a grounded drama about two brothers on a road trip, and what did you do in there to make some of those quieter sequences pop? Yeah, no, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, it's... it's it's the kind of thing that there is a duality, right? So you have this sci-fi world and you have this very grounded road trip world. And the more, I always feel like the more realistic you can make the environment that the sci-fi elements are existing in when you're, you're dealing with the terrestrial sort of science fiction, um, landscape for, you know, for a film is that the more believable that you can make the environment, the, the better, that the the science fiction elements sort of live within the world and the more believable they become. So there's a lot of detail. Paul Gurman and uh, Dave Rose put together, you know, amazing backgrounds that were very, very dense, layered, and, you know, had a, so they felt like very real. Like you really get a sense you're in Detroit, you really get a sense of, you know, Vegas and uh, Colorado. And so, so that was, that was a really big, another big part of it. So that, all that stuff was, um, like a great basis to have the sci-fi stuff on top of when it came into play. And there's also, there's, there's subtle things too, like, uh, you know, the use of thunder that was underneath when, uh, you know, key moment in the, the shootout at Hal's office that sort of interplays throughout the movie. The thunder returns for key moments and it's very subtle. It's one of them during a storm, but it is signifying that we're sort of, in another place, uh, we're going to another place that was based on like this one situation happening and it's, you know, a turning point that's leading us somewhere else. There was one of those moments, you know, where you have thunder or something ominous in the background, and I'm not sure if it was just my screening or if it was something deliberately you did, but there's a moment where Eli is sitting alone in his room and there's this sound that is interrupted when Dennis Quaid comes in. It's like, Eli! Oh, yeah. Did, did you guys do something? Because my ears actually felt like they were being shaken, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was a conceptual, uh, conceptual sort of expression of stress, I suppose, that we were trying to do there. Like, he, he just went through this experience. He, he was freaking out. You know, Eli's sitting there, he was like, the world was blanked out. He was trying to process what just happened. So I just kind of found the right frequency. It also sort of built off the intensity that we had from that whole sequence. You know, you don't want to leave it hanging too much. So it was a, a sound that I thought led us into that 
from that world. It's the other world that that was like a it was just like this frequency that I had found moving around these different oscillators that was it was very low and but it also felt like pressure in your ears. Uh, so you get a sense of conceptually of maybe the pressure that he had on him and the stress that he was feeling. Well, it was one of the most creative uses of sound I've heard this year because I <laughs> my ears had to pop. Wow. So. Yeah, so I, I think we can safely say it worked, and uh, thank you to my screening awesome. room speakers, I guess. Um, you put a couple jump scares in there, too. Uh, was that intentional? Yeah. There's a dog barking that got me. The dog barking still gets us. I got to tell you, man, we, we had that, uh, you know, how many days, I don't even know, we were in the mix. It, like, every time we come across that screen, somebody would, it would get somebody. And that's just such a fun thing is that when you – sort of, you know, pre-lap or you have this sound, you know, and with no visual reference, it's so loud and it's a sound that you, you know, know is a scary sound, it's a dog bark, um, and it, it just uh, works fantastically. I mean, it, it, it scares one of us, like, every time. I mean, even last night at the premiere, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, that was one of them. Uh, that was, I think there was just that, and then the nightmare sequence, which was intentionally, like, had some, some stuff in there because it was a nightmare uh, that Eli was having, that there was some, some really fun, uh, sound design stuff. And even in, there's a DTSX mix, which is their immersive format, which I had done, uh, additional sound design for the overhead and rear speakers. So there's even more stuff in that mix for it. And it's really cool in the nightmare sequence and, uh, a couple other, the seed. Usually when I talk to you guys, you, you've revealed there's some kind of Easter egg you buried somewhere in the sound. I know the Shape of Water guys told me that every lab sequence has Michael Shannon having sex, his sound effects buried in the background, incorporated in. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Did you guys have any fun on that level, putting little Easter eggs in the sound? Well, I had a, I have a couple, and they're ones that I use all over on my, on my stuff, and it, I'd be near impossible, I think, for somebody to pick it out, but I always use my cat. <laughs> so uh, my cats have a, <laughs> they make, they're my favorite, one of my favorite sounds, like when I'm sleeping and my cats are uh, sleeping on my uh, pillow and there's like purring in stereo. <laughs> it's like the most amazing sound. But there's not that sound, but there's other sounds with my cats in the movie. And there's also my dad who had passed away uh, about six years ago. He was an avid golfer and mm -hmm. all my golf, recordings are of him so i always try to include uh uh you know him hitting the golf ball or or something like that in into every project i do you know where it's applicable but the, in this one i it's part of a main sound i haven't even told anybody that <laughs> so wow it's, so it's just a personal thing for me oh that's awesome yeah that's a great little stamp and I, i'm sure your your cats are flattered to be movie stars constantly oh yeah yeah, sure. <laughs> now, is uh, are, are there any other standouts on your work in this film that you have yet to get to tell anyone about? Any things people, that you wish people would ask you about this project and you? Oh, that's a good question. I think everyone's been so great about, you know, that's seen the film and asked uh, great questions. And um, I mean, it was just so great working with John and Josh, as it always is. Uh, this is like sort of a pinnacle for us, and I think it's I think it's really just the beginning of what we're going to get into, which is really exciting. Um, well, I, I assume there are plans for Ken too. Well, I, I think you know, with every like original IP, I'm sure you know there are plans for sequels to try because I think that's probably the goal of any studio is to 
franchise their original IP. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the goal I would imagine. So I think if it does well, hopefully that'll be the case, you know? Now, uh, do you have any other interesting projects now that you've got your name attached to a twenty-plus million dollar feature? Yeah, yeah, for sure, and that's the really exciting thing. It's part of the reason I'm moving out here. I've had so many cool offers for awesome movie projects, so I just figured it'd be best to be closer to where the action is. Kind of thing. Well, Joseph, it has been a pleasure, man. I enjoyed getting to hear all about the film. Anything else you would like our listeners to know about Ken and your work on it before we go? Oh, I don't know. Just check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. And I promise you, to everyone listening, if if you see it, see it in a theater because it's going to wreck your eardrums in the best possible way. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joseph. I wish you the best on your big move out here, and I look forward to hearing plenty more of your work in the coming years. Awesome. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you taking the time. All right. This has been Will Mavity on an episode of the Next Best Picture Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the supervising sound editor of the movie Kin, Joseph Fraioli, here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to also head over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you can subscribe and get some exclusive podcast content. And also, you can leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.